This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. This podcast is brought to you by Pinecrest Printing and Signs. Do you have an image for your business? Well, Pinecrest Printing has got you covered in more ways than one. They've been providing the Tampa Bay business community with quality commercial printing and design since 2001. Their printing professionals are ready to provide you with quality marketing solutions for today's industry. They're also the newest sponsor of the Cannon Fire Podcast. From wide format banners, decals, vehicle wraps, to much, much more. Give them a call at 813-684-5444 or check out the website at pinecrestprinting.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. We are coming at you today with episode 73, and we are fresh off the heels 
of a Buccaneers loss, 31-24 against the New Orleans Saints in the Superdome. The Buccaneers went into this game with a chance to take an early lead in the division. They ultimately fall to the Saints, who were the better team. Again, 31-24. Don't let the box score fool you. The Buccaneers were pretty much outplayed in every aspect of this football game. You had an offense that couldn't get going, an offensive line that fell from grace, a secondary without a true number one corner, and a pass rush that ultimately disappeared. We're going to break all of that down for you today on episode 74. If you're new around here, I am your host, Rhett. Joined alongside me, as always, my good buddy and co-host, Mr. Bucks Football, Evan. And Evan... Tough loss for the Bucks, kind of sets them back. They're two games behind now, but aside from all of that, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Um, it's a Monday, so yeah, trying to trying to just make it through the day, you know. Yeah, I feel that a hundred percent. Mondays suck, and uh, especially when they're not victory Mondays. So let's break down everything that you've got to know about this game. Uh, of course, a very disappointing and deflating loss for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A loss that I don't want to say we knew was coming, but you know, if you would have told me that the Buccaneers were going to split a two-game stretch with the Rams and the Saints one and one, I would have been like, all right. I'm pretty sure most people would have been like, okay. And to be fair, I think most people expected the Bucks to be two and three this time of year, anyways, right? I, I did. That's what I had in my season predictions. I had them two and three. Yeah. So you go into London next week. It's going to be a tough game because we have some Bucks news that we'll talk about here in a second and update on that offensive line. <clears throat> but it, it's going to be a tough game. You have a chance to go in there, win, make it three and three headed into the bye week, which isn't ideal, but you'd love to be 500 headed into the bye week because you can clean up your mistakes, come back, and then finish up that tough road stretch. But before we go any more into the New Orleans game, let's talk about the news that I had just mentioned, and it involves Buccaneers' offensive line. Two linemen in particular, DeMar Dotson and Alex Kappa. <clears throat> Head coach Bruce Arian said in his press conference today that Alex Kappa broke his arm in the second quarter of the game against New Orleans and then finished the game. And I don't know if you saw the post-game locker room interviews, but Alex Kappa was like, oh yeah, it was just a bruise. Well, it's a broken arm, and he'll be out a few weeks. And then DeMar Dotson, I don't remember his particular injury. Maybe you can enlighten us. Do you know his uh, his injury? Uh, I believe they, they said on the broadcast, they said like an ailment. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the injury um, 100% is, though. Okay. Either way, DeMar Dotson, a guy who we have talked about, uh, one of the weaker links on that offensive line, and a guy who's shown his age, um, stepping up in his place is going to be Josh Wells, who I'm sure a lot of people remember the last time we saw Josh Wells play a snap in a Bucks football game, his first play led to a sack. So to be fair, he didn't have that much time to prep before he was thrown into that game, but, uh, it, it kind of hey, makes he had, you he had no time to prep. <laughs> it, it kind of makes you question the strength of that right side of the line, because we're going to have Earl Watford stepping in for Kappa. And then of course you got Josh Wells playing the tackle position. So, um, with a week's prep, do you think these guys can at least hold it down? You know, if it was if if it was any other team other than the Panthers, I would say yeah. But 
like the Panthers lead the NFL in sacks. Um, they're good, and it, it's it's just, it's bad timing for for both these things to happen. Um, you know, Watford he's been with the team ever since uh, the whole off season, so um, hopefully he can step in and, and sort of be uh, a decent stopgap. Um, but Josh Wells was picked up um, shortly after, I believe. The Bucks released Caleb Benock. I believe they signed Josh Wells. So, I mean, he's been with them for a few weeks now. Uh, and like you said, you know, to be fair to him, you know, that first play, yeah, he got blown by. But, you know, you're not really expecting him to go in the game. And just that, <laughs> yeah. that first play, is the Saints were just teeing off at that point. So, uh, I think with a week's worth of preparation, it should be better. But it just, I don't know. Um, and... Originally, I was picking this as as a win for the Buccaneers, and and now I I don't I'm not sure if I am now. Um, oh man! Just because I think that's you're missing your basically your whole right side of your offensive line uh, yeah. against one of the the better pass rushing teams in the NFL uh, and a, and a quarterback in Kyle Allen that's been pretty good lately. So um, I, I'm I, I'm still obviously haven't made up my mind. You know, got Monday, so yeah, have to feel out the whole the whole game. Have to really get a feel for it, but. Um, right now, uh, I, I can't say that it's a definite win. I still think it still has the chance to be a competitive game. No, uh, I'm unlike, not saying Yeah, it's unlike yeah, what it's we a saw. Division in, game. Unlike what we saw in New Orleans, and yeah, it is a division game. <clears throat> but things got out of hand right around the third quarter in the Superdome. Yeah, that just like you said, don't let that box score. They lost by seven. They should have lost by twenty-one. Like yeah. that. They got outplayed. They got outplayed. Got got out coached. Got out. You know, physically manhandled. Just it yeah. was just bad. Like there, there was a moment there. I was like, you know what? Winston's just gonna get hurt, and then and then that's that because he was getting hit on every single play. I believe he's on pace for to get 117 quarterback hits, and the most he ever had was his rookie year with 109. So. And and that's something that you had brought up was that Buccaneers offensive line. Let's start breaking down this game that happened in the Superdome um, because there's a lot of bad to talk about. There is some good, believe it or not. There is a little bit of good that came from this game. Not very much. Not very much at all. But there is a little bit that we can at least spend some time on, but we're going to get into that later. Let's talk about this offensive line first and foremost, and then we'll break down what else led well, to this Buccaneers one, defeat. One thing I wanted to say before we really get into it. Like, okay. The feeling I had of this game, like, as soon as it kicked off, like, there was never really any doubt that the Saints weren't going to win. Um, like, it, it felt like the entire game, they just had full control and just knew exactly what they were doing. Um, you know, after that little miscue, the interception, Teddy Bridgewater comes out and goes, like, 11 for, for 11 right after that. Right. Um, I mean... It felt like at no point, even when the Bucks had the the you know the four point lead seven to three and then tied up ten ten, it never felt like the Buccaneers were actually close to to winning that football game. I'm I'm with you a hundred percent. Well, I'll, I'll say I'm with you like eighty five percent because I didn't have that feeling from kickoff. Kickoff, I was confident that this team is composed and they're going to be ready to step up <clears> to the challenge wow. because, like we said. These division games, not only are they hard to predict, but they, they really just come down to it. And and there's a lot of different factors when you look at a division game as opposed to a game like the Rams last week. Because both are great football teams. The Saints are still probably, even with Teddy Bridgewater, who is starter material, we said that here on the show, they're probably still the best team in the NFC. But it's just, it's a different wheelhouse when you're a division rival. And... From kickoff, 
I was fairly confident. When the Buccaneers got the touchdown, they were up 7-3. to I was still somewhat confident, but as soon as it was 7-10, and then like you said, they tied it up 10-10, to that was when I kind of had that feeling creep in that this was not going to go our way uh, for more than one reason, and the referees are a huge reason for that. We'll talk about the refs in a bit because we've got quite a bit to say about their officiating job in the Dome on Sunday. But yes, we brought up this Buccaneers offensive line. What a fall from grace, right? The tight-knit, competent unit that we saw against the Rams was nowhere to be found on Sunday. They gave up six total sacks. And they left Jameis on the run several thousand other times. Like, 99% of the game, he was running for his life. And you talk about how this isn't the same old Bucks, but if there's any game that I've watched that looked like the same old Bucks, it was this game. And in the same breath, let me say that this this is not the same old Bucks. I'm not convinced that this is the same old Bucks that we're seeing. I'm not convinced that coaching isn't working. I'm convinced, and it's something that you said at one time... That this is a team who is improving, but there are steps to get there. And they're just not quite there as quickly as we wanted them to be. We wanted them to beat the Rams and roll into this game and beat the Saints and really be a powerhouse in the NFC South. Uh, but they're not ready to do that yet. And we saw that from this game. So yes, I still believe this team is getting better. But an example... Of the same old Bucks as what we saw on Sunday, but I don't think it's going to be like that going forward. I don't think we're going to see that more than three or four more times this season. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's yeah, I, I do agree with what what you said. I said basically um, that you know, like they're improved, like they're better than they were last year um, and probably the year before, but they're just not there yet like and that's exactly you know that's what i predicted on my season predictions you know i predicted a seven and nine record like that's improvement it's just it's not there yet um and i've I've said this a lot i think this year is really just a a feeling out process here a development year for a lot of guys like alex kappa like ronald jones um like avita vea um now you're looking at shaq barrett has turned into a star jordan whitehead um, a lot of these guys have, have looked really good. And I think this year is, I mean, obviously the Bucks are trying to win the games. I'm not saying that, Hey, you know, like they, they know that this is the, this is a, a year to win six, seven, eight games. No, they, they want to win every game, of course. And they have the confidence that they're going to win every game. But I, I think, you know, deep down, like in Arians and Jason Light's mind, they're like, okay, like, like this year, like, uh, you know, it may not be, you know, it's not playoffs or bust. Um, right. It's it, it's improvement. You have to show improvement. And if they only get four, four or three wins, then then there's a problem because you know, even if they get five wins again, that that's a problem because that's that's three straight seasons with with five wins, that can't happen. Um, and even obviously, if you get less than that, that's a very big problem. Um, yeah. So. I think as long as they see an improvement, you know, I think it's it's okay. Um, but like, if you really want to show that you are a, a good team, then good teams find a way to win this game. Or, you know, 
that that loss versus the Giants is going to come back to bite them. Um, they, yeah. they, sh- they should be three and two right now. Um, is I mean they got they got beat by the 49ers, sure. Um, There's a lot of things in that game that could have gone their way. It didn't. Obviously, Winston was, you know, I think if, if Winston played that game now, I think Bucks probably win that game. But, um, but that was, was just a bad Winston performance. Um, right. And then the Saints, they just got outplayed. So I don't think there's any way you can reverse that Saints game. But that Giants game, right now they should be three and two. Um, but. Whatever you know, they're two and three. They're a two and three football team. That's what they are. And you know, now they they got a they got a tough test. And I mean, this is this Carolina game's almost turned into a must win um, because you go into the bye week two and four. That's tough. Um, then you know you're you'll drop to definitely to you know to to third. You already are in third in the division now because Carolina's won three straight. Um, so you're in third in the division. Then if Atlanta wins, they're two and four. I'm not sure who's a tiebreaker there. You could potentially be last in the NFC South. Yeah. Um, at the bye week, so. Yeah. Um, if if you head into the bye week at two and four, you can kiss pretty much any chance <clears throat> of a wild card appearance goodbye. Well, you would opinion. have to. You. I think you could kiss any chance of an NFC South like title goodbye. Wild card appearance, you could still go on a little bit of a run. I think um, you could, but it, after the bye week, I just personally can't see. If this team goes into the bye week 2-4, and four, I cannot see any possible way that they finish the season with only six losses. To lose only two more after <clears> the bye week just sounds a little, little too far-fetched for me. And you know me, the eternal optimist. We've talked about it. Uh, I, I love watching this team do well, and I'm always confident in this team. But we kind of have to look at where we are now, and, and we just have to have perspective on it all because yeah you got to have hope when watching these football teams but if you get your hope way too high then you ultimately end up disappointed and you have to find that middle ground and i think after a loss like this you have to find that middle ground because after this we're all back down to earth now everybody's everybody's where they are and whether they're jumping ship whether they're blaming Jameis, whether they're saying that this team is still going to make the playoffs there's always that middle ground And, and where i'm at is Maybe nine and seven. I I think that's wishful thinking. Um, personally, I just think that that's wishful thinking. Eternal um, optimist, baby. Well, you know, at least <laughs> at least you, at least you can't say they're they're first in the NFC South anymore. Um, that was a that was a nightmare for me after after uh, what week two, right? That oh, they were, they were on, first man. in the it NFC was, South. It was facts though. It was definitely <laughs> facts at the time. There's no denying facts when the Bucks were first. I was going to let you know because, yes, they were first in the South at that time. So one thing I want to look, point out was that this isn't the first time. That, and that's why I think two and four to bye week is not good at all. But I don't think that means the season's done. I think the game versus Tennessee will determine what the season looks like. Because Bruce Arians first year with the Cardinals. They're 20, 2013, okay? They started off three and four. They ended ten and six. Um, they went on. It, look here, they were one and two, and then two and two, three and two, three and three, three and four, and then they won four straight games from October twenty seventh to November twenty fourth. Um, and they won a lot of close games, and and then you know they ended up 
losing and then winning three straight more and then losing the last game of the season. So, and they only lost that game by three points. So they potentially could have been um, 11 and five that year. So that's really the biggest hope is that maybe, you know, with a Bruce Arians team that, Hey, you know, like that happens, right? Like first year guys really maybe, you know, and, and a lot of teams have that. It's a system where maybe, you really have to get into it, you know. Um, they will say, obviously, the head coach was Bruce Arians of that team, that 2013 team that I'm talking about. Yeah. The def- the defensive coordinator was Todd Bowles. The linebackers coach was Mike Caldwell. The defensive backs coach was Nick Rapone. The quarterbacks coach was Kevin Ross. Tom Moore was the assistant head coach slash offense. <laughs> Harold Goodwin was the offensive coordinator slash offensive line coach. Uh, Rick Christoffel was the tight end coach. Kevin Garver was the offensive quality control coach. He's now the wide receivers coach, I believe. And the vice president of player personnel was Jason Light. So, um, obviously, I do I think they're going to finish 10-6? No. Um, I don't believe that you, you didn't even predict them to go 10, so you said 9-7. I, um, I, I will, yeah, got to find that middle ground, I'll be shocked. and my middle ground I'll be is 9-7. If they go, you know, if they if they go 9, and if they go 10-6, and six, I'll be shocked, um, because, I mean, that would mean they'd have to beat some, some pretty good teams that they're not supposed to beat, maybe, like, you're talking like Seattle at Seattle. You might have to win that one. Um, Seattle right now, another one of those teams that looks like they could run away with the NFC this year because they've played lights out. Yeah, so I just wanted to point that out, that like it's happened before with Bruce Arians and their and his teams. Um, and I, I do think that this game is a big game division-wise, um, but I think the bigger game is especially um, – Coming off that Tennessee game, uh, you, yeah. you can't. If you lose this game, it puts the season in major jeopardy, no doubt. Like this is a big game. Absolutely. But that Tennessee game, you lose that game, you drop to two and five. That's it. You're, you're not. You're not going back from that. Yeah. You never really know, like you said, with these Bruce Arians teams and seventy-five percent of the same coaching staff we have now. We've seen some stranger things happen before, but again, you never really know. Let's talk a little more about this Saints game on Sunday. Uh, I've got some stat lines for you. We'll break them down. We'll talk about the pros and cons, and then we'll get into a little more of some of the bad things that caused this Buccaneer defeat. Uh, First stat line I have for you, we just talked about the offensive line and how Jameis was running for his life. Let's talk about Jameis. Jameis Winston on Sunday, 15 for 27, 204 yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions. And I have a huge asterisk next to zero interceptions because if you weren't watching the game, uh, Jameis got bailed out twice from penalties. The first one was a delay of game that they didn't blow the whistle for before the snap. He threw the pitch and it came back. Which is bad on the ref's part. That's, yeah. that's bad. You got to blow the whistle. God forbid somebody gets hurt on that play. Yeah. That was, yeah. That's been a common theme with these referees, is that they really don't like to blow the whistle during plays. They like to let it play out and then confuse themselves and ultimately... Yeah, when, you, when you know it's a delay of game, when it's a pre-snap right. penalty, that's stupid. Right. Um, first was a delay of game, and to be fair, it was a throw under pressure. Jameis had all sorts of guys in his face because those New Orleans blitzes were lethal all afternoon. Um, the second one that was called back... 
Do you remember the penalty? Because I feel like it was defensive holding, but it I... It was don't... a hold. It was okay. a hold, yeah. All right, so it was a defensive holding call. That one ended up coming back as well. I think it was actually on the guy that, that caught the interception, so I think maybe <laughs> nice. maybe that was Winston kind of throwing the ball there so the, the refs would kind of see it. Um, maybe. I mean, they quarterbacks do that a lot. Like, if they if they see something, they'll just throw the ball there. Um it looked like he tried to do a 50-50 ball, just couldn't get it high enough. Yeah, but either way, he got bailed out twice from two interceptions. But aside from that, Jameis came out of the gate, uh, and he looked really, really anxious and just really excited in the pocket. And it's kind of what we saw at the beginning of the Carolina game, where everybody's like, all right, Jameis, like, take a deep breath, eat some CBD gummies, and, and chill out. Like, Just do what you've got to do to settle down back there. Maybe he saw what the future held for him, and that's why he was so scared. Uh, but starting off, things just weren't able to get going with this offense at all. And uh, another thing from this offense, Mike Evans finished the day with zero receptions, and he was targeted less than Scotty Miller, wow. who was lined up outside being thrown passes that should have been thrown to Mike Evans. In uh, in Scotty Miller's defense, though, those two passes, the two outs on the same drive from James Winston, were both bad passes that James probably should have made, and Miller probably would have caught. But yeah, to be fair, yeah, but to put that much pressure on Scotty oh, Miller, I know, who, and, and you know, to not get the ball in your hands, in the hands of your best offensive weapon and probably your best player, is unacceptable. Um, like. Do a screen. Just get get the ball in his hands. Yeah. Just get him and in, get him into some type of a rhythm. Just do something. Um, you know, there there are ways to just get him, even if it's not for you know fifty, forty yards. You know, those gains. There are ways to just get the ball in your playmaker's hands. There there there, there is. Yeah. And so, they, they just didn't do it. Overall, Jameis had the two picks bail him out on the penalties. Um, but he stayed relatively clean for the game. No interceptions, yeah. two he was touchdowns. Okay. Aside from was... being sacked six times, he was as good as he possibly could have been, I think. I mean, basically, uh, he had one touchdown because, you know, the last touchdown. To be fair, yeah. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> I mean, but even, even on his on his touchdown that, like, really mattered, he was still running for his life. Um, yeah. You know, if you remember, that was a second and 16, I believe, after a sack. And, and he had to, to run and escape and then find Chris Goffman. That was a good read by him. But, man, yeah, I mean, the offensive line, especially the game plan, too. The game plan didn't do them any favors. Very little screens. Um, abandoned the running game when, when he didn't necessarily have to. Um, like, you, you, you were down two scores a few times, but there was never, like, you never had to abandon the run game like he did. All the routes were really long-developing. Um, it, uh, yeah, Sunday looked like a dark cutter type offense and that's just, that's not benefiting James Winston at all. And especially right. with an offensive line that while they played well last week, isn't the greatest, that's just, that's not benefiting anybody. And, you know, it needs to be a different game plan. And, you know, they say they game plan week to week. Well, the game plan for this week wasn't good. And I, I do guarantee you, though, that the game plan for week week 11 when the Saints come to Tampa on offense is going to be a whole lot different. Yeah, and I've got some things I wanted to talk about with the run game here in a second. But while we were on the topic of Mike Evans not having any receptions, let's talk about the guy who stepped up in his place and continues to have his best season of his career 
Um, and we can't let the loss overshadow that. That's big number 12, Chris Godwin. His stat line on Sunday, seven receptions, 125 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, Chris Godwin shows us yet again his ability to step up and be a number one receiver if he has to. Mike Evans yeah, was MIA. Be, yeah, he'd be a number one receiver on probably, I would say, probably 70, 75% of the teams on a, in the league. Unless you have an elite wide receiver like a DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, like that type, he Chris Godwin would probably be a number one wide receiver. Yeah, I, I'm glad he stayed healthy and continues <clears> to come up big for us. His first catch was a touchdown that put us up seven to three and then throughout the day he had a really crucial third down snag and then a fourth down catch as well and that fourth down situation was weird as hell because Uh. i remember it was fourth and one ronald jones lined up in the eye they give it to jones he punches through and then what happened evan whistles blew and there was kind of confusion and what ended up happening was that the Bucks had called a timeout that I guess the referee had not relayed to the official ref that's supposed to like stop the play, I guess. Um, because obviously one official had to see the Bucks call the timeout or else they wouldn't have stopped play. And they would have said, oh, we missed the timeout. Sorry. Um, but yeah, you know, they, they're lucky that that didn't cost them because, I mean, that could, you know, and the coaching was, was not very good. Um, they got out coached. They, you know. They, they, they mismanaged the clock. Um, yeah, timeout play calling, management was really, Play really calling bad. wasn't the best. I mean, you, you know, when you call a timeout there, that's fine to call a timeout pre-snap. Like, like that's fine. But, like, you you better you better do it, like, I guess before, like, well before the play's even going to be run. Yeah. I, I guess. Or, or even just tell Jameis, like, hey, just look at what formation they're in. Let the play clock wind all the way down, and we're going to call a timeout. Let's say something like that. Um, and to be don't fair, don't let them run the play. But they are lucky that they got it anyway. And yeah, just like you said, to be fair, they did get it anyway. So fourth down, you get the run to Rojo that doesn't count. They come out same exact formation. It's a play action pass. Chris Godwin wide open over the middle, fifteen yards down the field. He makes the catch. First down, Buccaneers. So good game for Chris Godwin. Let's recognize the game and the season thus far that he has had. Yeah. Uh, another um, well, one question I wanted to ask. Okay. So Chris Godwin was drafted in 2017. He was a third round pick. Who was the first round pick that year? In 17. Yep. I feel terrible that I don't know this. How do you not know this? I know. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All where's right. he at? Is is he is he a is is he a guy? Is, yeah. Is he a I thing? mean, what what's his total stat line on the year? Like oh, eleven receptions, a hundred and forty something <clears throat> yards, and zero touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, no, it, it didn't help that like I mean, just like that the first game versus the 49ers was just terrible. Um, and I do believe that that is sort of messing with his confidence. Still, I mean, that was just an all around, just an awful game. Like, I mean, he cost them two turnovers. Uh, he cost them at least three points, right? Because they were going to kick a field goal on that fumble yeah. versus the Niners. Um, and then, you know, like, yeah, he's just had a rough go of it. And I think he's really dealing with confidence issues. But in the giant in the Giants game, he bobbled. I think he, he caught him, but he bobbled a few balls that he should have caught cleanly. Like, it's just it's a real confidence thing with him right now. And I know people say, oh, Arians doesn't even utilize the tight ends. O.G. Howard is going to get his catches. But also, it doesn't help that the offensive line is so like overpowered by every defensive line. So they have to keep O.J. Howard in as an extra blocker. Yeah, he, he's had to step up and be a bigger blocker this year. But, I mean, 
the, the exact point you just said. This is something we talked about before the season was looking at Bruce Arians and historically his offenses. They normally don't benefit your tight ends very well when it comes to putting up big numbers, and especially the Bucks, who normally run that two tight end set. You've got O.J. Howard and Cam Bray who can come up big when they need to. Uh, neither of those guys have really come up in the way that we needed them to. And O.J. is just kind of not being phased out, but definitely disappearing a little bit this year. And you don't want to see that, especially from a guy who has as much talent as we know that he does. Uh, but, yeah, we got to see O.J. get involved a little more. Let's talk yeah, about... Yeah, well, well why, are you, why are you paying Cameron Bright $7 million to be an extra blocker? Like, right. Like, if, if you're, if you're going to use him, use Cameron Bright like this, you better get rid of him in the offseason then. Because that money could be used elsewhere, and right. like if if you if you are going to use him like an actual weapon in the offense, fine, pay him seven million dollars. You're you're not really hurting for cap as much this year as you were last year. But if you're going to use him how you're using him right now, as like a blocker, and then he can catch a ball or two every now and then, you better get rid of him because yeah. you, you can't be paying a guy six and a half, seven million dollars to do that when he's not an actual offensive lineman. And as unfortunate as it is, we are kind of seeing things head towards the possibility that Cam Brate may not be a Buccaneer next year because Cam Brate Cam Brate has been a luxury for this team. Like he hasn't like ever since they drafted OJ Howard, it's been a luxury to have Cam Brate. You know, he was a he was a practice squad guy. You know, undrafted, they signed him. He's played well. He earned a contract. That's great. But he has been a luxury, and now the luxury has come to an end. Adam Humphreys was a luxury that came to an end. Juan Alexander wasn't a luxury, but he was just a draft pick that was good, and, but that came to an end. But Adam Humphreys and Cameron Bray were both just luxuries that the Buccaneers had. And now I, I do think that it's going to be coming to an end here rather shortly. Yeah. Let's talk about the run game really quick, and then we can flip over and talk about the defensive side of the ball and what went wrong there against the Saints. Uh, we brought it up a little earlier how the Bucks kind of abandoned the run game, and I've got some stat lines to show you for both Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber. Ronald Jones, nine attempts for 35 yards. His longest run of the day was 14 yards, and he had zero touchdowns. Peyton Barber, eight attempts for 32 yards. His longest run of the day was eight yards, and he had one touchdown. The ground game did not find a way to get rolling this week. Rojo and Peyton Barber split the load in every sense of the term, uh, with no one really becoming the hot hand that we've heard about. You know, with 17 attempts between two running backs, it wasn't nearly enough carries, especially with most of these runs coming on first and predictable. In a sense, even when you're losing the way that you are, you got to commit to the run, especially when you have a day like we did throwing the football. Uh, But with all of that said, I think, and and I mean, this is kind of off-brand from how the run game did on Sunday, but more of a blanket statement, I think Rojo's ready to start. Even though he didn't light the world on fire, he split the load with Barber, his 14-yard run, uh, it just shows us a flash of what this guy's capable of. And we've seen it week after week after week. When he gets his hand on the football, He'll bust out for a big run, and I mean, if he's if he's carrying the load, we're gonna see quite a few more of those. Oh, and also he had um, he had a catch for yeah, what, 15, yes, 20 he, yards. Yes, so he did. It's just and it's shame because Peyton Barber's a hard runner, and you know he he wants to win, and he's a guy that's gonna give you everything he's got. It's just 
some guys have the explosive ability and some guys don't. Ronald Jones has the speed that Peyton Barber doesn't. Ronald Jones has the ability to make people miss that Peyton Barber just doesn't. And I do believe that that Ronald Jones should take over as the starter, but I don't think that'll happen yet because look at Bruce Arians' history with running backs. Um, David Johnson absolutely lit the world on fire like the first four weeks of the season in, I believe, 2015, his rookie season. And Bruce Arians didn't name him the official starter until like week 13. So what he likes to do is he doesn't like his his players to get like that, like complacent like that. So he doesn't want to say, hey, Ronald Jones, you're the starter now. And Ronald Jones is like, okay, well, I'm a starting job, so now I can do whatever. Right. Like He still wants Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones to be basically fighting for the starting job. Um, and it's worked out pretty well, I think, for, for Jones right now. But, yeah, um, the Bucks were down two scores, but they were never down three scores in that game. And I think when you're down three scores, that's when you can, like, you got to start throwing the ball a lot. When you're down two scores, you're still in it. There was a time, I think there was, like, 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. You, they were down 31 to 17, I think. And I was like, run the ball. Just just run. The, you can still, you have plenty of time. Do your game plan. Run the football. Like, you don't have to press right now. And what they do, I think they ran on first down, and then they passed it twice and then punted. But um, Winston probably got sacked. I don't even know. Yeah, um, yeah probably. It, it uh, seemed like, probably it, it seemed like the, the second half was far worse than the first half for the offensive line. Um, the, the second half was, was far worse. Uh, for the offensive line, it seemed like they really got wore down. And maybe you know, Kappa. I mean, breaking his arm. That's that's not going to help. So um, <laughs> the fact really that he played through it really is a testament to. Um, I, I think, truly and honestly, I think it's a testament to the mentality that some of these guys have this yeah, year. Yeah, because sure. you know, comparing this team to last year, these these guys do want to win. Don't get us wrong. Like, no, I yeah, said, I mean, and they they wanted to win last year. It's just yeah, you yeah. wouldn't necessarily, especially towards the end of the year. With some stories that I've heard, um, you wouldn't really see a lot of guys fight like that. It's it's just that nasty factor, and like you said, that <clears throat> fight to not want to lose. And I think you'd yep. love to see that as much as you hate to see a broken arm. you love to see that from a guy like Alex Kappa. Huge testament to him. He's a man now in my book. So uh, want a quick Finally a man when you break your yeah. arm and you <laughs> to play. Dude, I, I still think about that story when... Uh, I don't remember the game. I think it was the Monday night game against the Steelers. He was walking into the stadium, and I'm like, hey, man, go kill him tonight. Uh, he wasn't even playing. He was inactive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a long way he's come. Yeah, he's been uh, he's been a, a pleasant surprise. Um, I, I think he's definitely making the, the front office basically cross off right guard as a top need. Um, if they have a chance to you know to pick up a, an all-star, a pro ball right guard, don't do it, but... Um, I don't think they're going to go out and really try to hunt for a right guard. Um, so I think Cap has been good. Yeah, I think they're really going to try to go out for they, – well, they should at least. Um, I do think they will go out and try to find a new starting right tackle because I think DeMar Dotson either doesn't get re-signed or retires. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he retires before yeah, he comes I, back I, from I injury. Yeah, I think he retire. Um, and then just uh, – so a right, right tackle and then – just a lot of offensive line depth because behind them, like Donovan Smith, like the whole, like Donovan Smith was fine yesterday. Like the whole left side was all right. But I mean, the Saints just sent a lot of blitzes and the right side just really got exposed. Like well, that, that was like the big thing. First drive of the game, 
one of the things on our checklist was uh, have another clean game for the offensive line. And first drive of the game, we get a flag. Yeah. Holding. Offensive uh, line number 76. I don't know. I, you can't expect offensive linemen to have a, you know, a perfect game every no, time. No, don't get me wrong. Like, penalties it just, wise. It know. made me chuckle that it was Donovan Smith, of all people, getting the first one of the game. You know what I mean? Like, it... it as improved as these guys have looked, Jensen, Marpet, and Donovan Smith have played great, but it's just it still makes me chuckle when Donovan Smith finds his way into a holding call. You so, know what I mean? Yeah. Well you know. <laughs> big test for them this week though. So they're gonna have to step up again. But yeah, like back to what we were saying, we've got really sidetracked there. We're talking about running backs and talking about <laughs> off the um so yeah, Ronald Jones I think is the better running back, and I think the Bucks realize that. Um, I'm not sure if Peyton Barber is going to be back next year. Um, I think they'd probably like him back because I do think they like, you know, having a guy that sort of wear down the defense and then Ronald Jones just come in and just clean up, you know. Um, it's worked out pretty well in a lot of the games. Like, you go see the San Francisco game in the second half, like Ronald Jones running wild. Um, the L.A. game, the Giants game, just they, they really did a good job. What's interesting to me is going to be this week, and I'll talk a little bit more about that on a Thursday show. Ronald Jones barely played against the Panthers week two. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see whether, like, that's just a certain game plan for how the Panthers line up. Maybe Jones isn't, you know, like, equipped for that. Maybe it's more of a Barber thing. Barber played pretty good in that Carolina game. Um, but we'll see. And I, I do expect Ronald Jones to get a little bit more snaps. But like I said, we'll talk about that in the Thursday game. Let's move on to the big story, the bigger story, I guess you could say, and that's, I think, the defense. I think a lot of people won't want to talk about the defense. I've got one thing that I want to throw out there for the defense, and then we can break down all of the bad things that happened. Because I I want to get this out there, because I feel like it's been overlooked. And it's not an impressive stat by any means. It's not the worst in the world, uh, but it's okay in every sense of the word. It is the most okay stat I've ever seen. And something that I think some people should pay a little more attention to. Alvin Kamara, his stat line on Sunday. 16 attempts for 62 yards. His longest run was 16 yards, and I believe that's when he basically hit the juke button on the entire defense and then yep, went sideline to sideline. Um, and that just showed how elusive we know that he can be. So his longest run, 16 yards, zero touchdowns for him, and then he caught the ball six times for 42 yards. Alvin Kamara showed up as he usually does against Tampa, but definitely not in his normal capacity. And yes, while the defense didn't do many things very great, they did a decent job at holding Kamara on the ground. I mean, he did Mm -hmm. not run wild the way that he normally does on this Buccaneers team. So... I think they did a relatively okay job at containing him on Sunday. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think they did. And I think that was on our checklist, too. But um, Definitely a lot more bad to talk thing. about. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm starting to sort of get tired of the whole, you know, oh, man, like the run game, like the run defense. So, yeah, but in today's NFL, got to be able to play the pass, man. Like, Run Teams. defense is not like run. Run defense is sure it's important because you can't get gash on a ground every play, but run defense is not as important as pass defense in today's NFL. It's just not. Well, it's and a, I it's think a, a lot. Of, most people can agree with me there. And it's a prime um, example of a good team like the Saints finding a way to win, which and is they what know. the Bucks have yeah. not been able to do. No, and well, at least you this know week. they. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so on our checklist, I believe it was com- contain Kamara, but it was also so they did that. Like they did that pretty well. Um, I would say the Saints probably had the best um, running day out of any team they've played. The Bucks have played so far. The Saints probably had the best um, the best run game. But um, I mean, Saints offensive line is underrated. But other thing I believe we put on our checklist was contain Michael Thomas. That's something that they did not do. And I'll continue to say it. Um, this defense, they're going to struggle continually until they get a number one cornerback. Uh, they just will. And no, it's not coming this this season. They're not going to make a trade for Patrick Peterson or Jalen Ramsey or Chris Harris or Xavier Howard. It's not going to happen this, this season. In the offseason, maybe. Who knows? But it's just... It won't happen this season. So stop saying, oh, man, trade deadline coming up. Like, you got to get this guy, this guy. No, it's not going to happen. I, I do believe that this defense would be so much better if you could just have a, a number one corner, true number one. Because then you could, you know, basically. And it was put to me on Twitter, and I was I agree with it. You know, you could put that number one corner on the number one receiver, right? And I'm, I'm not saying you have to get a complete shutdown guy. Like, just, you know, he's shutting down the entire side of the field. Like, no. But you need a guy like I don't think Patrick Peterson is a shutdown guy, but he's a number one cornerback in the NFL. I don't think um, Marshawn Lattimore is a shutdown guy, but he's a number no, one corner. But he's a number one corner. Yeah, they they need somebody like that. Okay, um, they they just they do. Uh, Desmond Trufant, like for the Falcons, not shutdown, but a number one corner. Um, so. If you have a number one corner, then you can do Davis as your number two corner. And Davis has he's gotten a little bit of penalties this year, and I think he's starting to get sort of targeted for them. And we'll get into I put no pun intended target, but uh, <laughs> funny, funny. I actually didn't even I did not realize I did that. I swear, <laughs> I swear, I did not realize I did that. Um, so if you have Davis as your cornerback two, and then. You know, let's say you keep VH3, which I'm fairly certain they will. Like, yeah, it's like it's his fifth year option next year. So I think they're going to just hold on to him for at least next year. Um, you keep VH3 in a slot where he's shown that he's been better um, than it than it outside. And then you could sort of train, you know, Murphy Bunting and Jamel Dean to sort of take over that that slot uh, whenever if VH3 were to go. Um, How do you feel so about that? would be ideal. How do you feel about Jamel Dean outside? I, I think he'd be better than than Murphy Bunting outside, but like, how much better is he than Carlton Davis? Like, right. That's the thing. Like, obviously, if you get Patrick Peterson, obviously Patrick Peterson's your number one guy. Is Jamel Dean really that better than Carlton Davis? I don't think so. And like, yeah, when Davis comes out for a play or whatever, Jamel Dean go out, and Peterson comes out for a play, Jamel Dean go in. But, um. I just don't think, like, in a year, I don't know if Jamal Dean's going to be better at Carlton Davis. Um, right. Now, so, that's a big thing. And, like I said, until they get a quarterback one, it's gonna, they're going to struggle. And uh, there's a lot more reasons that we'll get to here. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So, so you would brought up a name that you brought up is the biggest suspect in the secondary from Sunday. That's Vernon Hargraves the third. Uh, he had a very forgettable afternoon in New Orleans for most of the game, Hargraves looked lost and just out of position. Uh, Michael Thomas took him to the woodshed, play after play. It was embarrassing. 
He gave well, up back. Well, when Michael Thomas was, wasn't pushing off. That's very true. And we are still going <laughs> to talk about these referees. Let me throw that out there. I just want to get everything else out of the way so I can let loose as long as I can about these refs. Uh, Michael Thomas, when he wasn't pushing off, took him to the woodshed. He gave up back-to-back receptions. Um, and, I mean, whether he was given too much cushion or just gave up on his coverage and went out to the flat when he wasn't supposed to, uh, he's regressed from what we saw early in the year. And kind of like what you said, at this point, just move him back inside. He cannot play outside corner. He's always been a guy yep. who's been scared shitless of being beat deep and he always gets beat deep because he just can't do anything about it and that leads him into no man's land more often than not so vh3 like you said just move him inside i feel confident that the bucks are going to end up hanging on to him even if it's you know like you said fifth year option they'll hang on to him for another year move him inside where he can actually play good football and then just express the glaring need of a number one corner because that's where the Bucks are. Uh, let's talk about Carlton Davis as well because I'm sure people watching the game know this. He was ejected from Sunday's contest, if you want to call it that. Um, Carlton Davis, though, he didn't look great before his ejection. He gave up a 34-yard uh, reception to Michael Thomas just before he got thrown out. But his ejection was... Another example of Sunday's questionable officiating. Uh, Looking back at the play, the argument that you hear the most right now was that it was a bang-bang type play. And to be fair, it was. There wasn't a lot he could have done to react any differently than he did. And yes, rules are rules, but to eject a guy in his position, especially after deliberating on it for a few minutes, it just didn't seem right at all. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't really have a problem with it. Like, like, it, it, like that I was said, that was the one I really didn't have a problem with. Rules are rules, but that, I don't know. I mean, he guy, lowered his head and hit him in the head. Like, it was bang bang it. though. It, it was just. It doesn't matter. I guess you could say that the Quan Alexander week one was bang bang. Like James Winston was like obviously yeah he was in a sliding motion and Quan Alexander went low sure like yeah but you could say it was bang bang like that was like. If if you're gonna say that, then the NFL is basically saying, okay, but quick plays doesn't matter. If you get hit in the head, but it's a quick play, it doesn't really matter. Carlton Davis led with his head and hit the Jared Cook in his head. They're gonna call it every time. No, and they're I gonna, you know, and they're gonna eject him every single time. Like I said, rules are rules, but there's been a big argument on that. So if you have an opinion on Carlton Davis and if he should or should not have been ejected. Uh, Leave it in the comments section down below if you're watching on YouTube or any of our video formats. But let us know your opinion on that one. Something else about this defense. We talked about the secondary. Let's talk about the pass rush because the Bucks pass pass rush. rush. Exactly. It was non-existent in the Superdome. Even when you send blitzes, these guys just could not hit home. Uh, I I thought that Anthony Nelson had a sack when he grabbed Bridgewater but mm-hmm. I guess he just got him at the line of scrimmage, so it yeah, wasn't it was, a sack. It was a rush. It was, yeah, it counted as a rush for Rizzo. Yeah. But big heads-up play for Anthony Nelson. But aside from that, you had plenty of guys who had opportunities to get there. And when you've got a secondary that's as bad as we are right now, your pass rush has to play well. And yep. they they just did not do that. Shaq Barrett was not a factor. Carl Nassib really didn't get there. Uh, Shaq Barrett... 
Carl Nassib and Indomica Sue, I believe. All three of those guys had perfect opportunities to get a sack, and Teddy Bridgewater just got away from him, like we said he would, because the guy has wheels, and when he has to scramble, he can do what he has to do to get away from you, and that's exactly I think Ndamukong and Sue actually might have played one of his better games, though, of the year. Um, I felt like he was pretty good. Like, yeah. He finally beat, like, one-on-ones to get some pressure. Um, was a pretty good factor in the run game, so I feel like Sue was pretty good, but other than that, I mean, yeah, Nelson, Nelson was all right. Barrett was non-existent, although I think they were double teams sometime. Carl Nassim, non-existent, even though a lot of, like, there were sometimes he was being clearly held. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, but, yeah, they do those delayed blitzes. And, I mean, Todd Bowles, and credit to Todd Bowles for listening to the show, I guess, because he didn't blitz as much as he did last week. Um, <laughs> like, you know, like, it wasn't every play that he blitzed. Um, so, that's good. But, like, I don't know, it's just some of those delayed blitzes with the safety and then coming down, ah, yeah, I don't know. Like, they had, they'd won, they'd won, I think they sent, well, I don't know, yeah, I think it was a blitz. They, they, they sent Jordan Whitehead on the edge, I think, and they had Shaq Barrett standing up in coverage, and then, like, after, like, two seconds, Shaq Barrett went in a rush and almost got there, but he just got the playoff. Um, yeah. Beforehand, so it just they, those take too much time. So um, I understand trying to deceive a, a an offense, but just take too much time. So, and that's the thing as well that really pissed me off about this game was that uh, with as bad as this defense played, the Saints had time to just get cute with their play calling. Yeah, and, I mean, and they they do whatever they wanted. Like, yeah, but in the last like four three minutes of the game, dude, it was just terrible, and. Mm-hmm. It definitely, I don't know, it pisses you off. But that's what Sean Payton does, and that's what he'll continue to do is just make things as difficult as he can play-calling-wise for this Buccaneers defense. So uh, that's pretty much the defense, but there's another glaring issue that I saw, um, and I'm sure plenty of other people saw as well, and that has to do with Buccaneers' 2019 first-round pick, Devin White. I don't know if you knew this, Devin White was activated for Sunday's game. Everybody's like, all right, he's going to come back. He's going to split the load with Kevin Minter. I didn't expect to see him a lot, but I expected him to play more than a whopping zero snaps. Devin White, activated on Sunday, didn't play at all in the game. And B.A. in his postgame said, well, he just wasn't ready, and he's too great of a young player to put out there if he's not ready. He's got Mm -hmm. too good of a future. And I can totally understand that. I, I get it. And if the coaches are seeing something that we aren't, because we certainly didn't see it on the TV broadcast, you're not going to see what's going on on the sidelines with Devin White and how ready he is. So I can believe that he wasn't ready, uh, but I just kind of wanted to see your take and see if you had a comment on him being activated just to not play. Well, you're, you're, you have to put uh, your inactive players in 90 minutes before the game. So maybe what had happened was they had put their inactives in, and then, like, 30 minutes before the game or something in warm-ups, Devin White was like, you know, like, this ain't right. Like, yeah. something's a little off. And they were like, okay, like, we're going to address you, but we're, we're not really going to play you because, God forbid, you risk it, and he's out another four, five, six weeks. Um, I do expect him to play a little bit more this week. Um, you know, but, and also, I mean, this was really the first time he's practiced in a little while, too, so. Yeah. Um, it's just the Bucs just weren't comfortable with it. I, I, I don't really have much complaints. Um, it, it's no big deal. 
Yeah, it, it's easier to, to, to me. Get... To me, a lot of people are making a bigger deal about it than they need to. Yeah, it's easier to get mad at that type of situation during the game, especially when I'm you sorry, have a defense who isn't doing if, well. Yeah, but if Devin White was in there, I I don't think that's a, a make-or-break thing. Like, I don't think if Devin White played, they were going to win. Right, and God forbid, like you said, guy like Devin White does get in there and play and then just gets injured. That's the last thing you want to see, especially with all of these people already clamoring that he's a bust, for God's sake. Oh, um, love that. So we've gone over the offense, we've gone over the defense. Evan, I think it's finally time to talk about these referees. Oh, I thought you said end the show. All right, cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say we got about 10, 15 more minutes to sound <clears throat> off on the Zebras in New Orleans. Uh, let's, take a second to, uh, let's take a second to talk about officiating. It's hard to beat New Orleans in the Superdome, but it's even harder when it feels like you have to beat the refs as well. In the first half, the officials blew an obvious recovery oh. by tight end Anthony Auclair on a fumble on a Saints punt return. The officials said that there was not a clear recovery on the play, but replays showed that Auclair was not only the first player to pounce on the loose ball, but also the one to emerge from the pile with it. Mm -hmm. Arians challenged the play, but the call on the field stood, and that's not the last time that happened that day. Well, uh, luckily, three plays later, they were able to get an interception. And that's great. That's fantastic. Sean Murphy bunting, by the way, uh, one of the bright spots in that secondary. Yes, He played well. As an overall, they had a bad day, but I think like four tackles and then first career interception for Sean Murphy bunting. He did play fairly well on Sunday. But if you don't get that interception, and the Saints go down the field and score, and then your offense stalls out again on the next drive because they can't take advantage of the turnover that because there was no turnover. Yep. It. it God, dude. Like I, yeah. I don't. All Claire literally came out of the pile with the football. That, that doesn't matter to me. Like when he comes out of the pile, that does not matter because those in those piles, players just rip it out or whatever. What but mattered to me was it, on on the replay. On the replay, it did show that he he recovered the ball. Like when he's coming out of the pile with the ball, I don't really I don't put too much stock into who comes out of the pile because the pile everybody's down there. You're just ripping away no, at each that's, other. That's very true. You know. And but my bigger problem was that on the replay it sort of showed that Anthony Alclair did have it and you know and he and you know just it shows he has it and then he does come out of the piles so that's even more reassurance you know um, but yeah it's just that was just that was bad and I mean Arians had every right to be furious as he was so later on in the first half. Buccaneers cornerback Carlton Davis hit Saints tight end Jared Cook in the helmet and was flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct, and then he got ejected for targeting. Fox sideline reporter Lara Oakman reported that halftime an irate Bruce Arians told her that the ejection of the cornerback Carlton Davis was the stupidest call he's ever seen. Um, we kind of just talked about this, but any comments following up? I disagree with Bruce, but... Um... I mean, it definitely hurt him because Davis is their best cover corner, and yeah. not having him there really hurts. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a shame. But I mean, I, I don't, I, I disagree with Bruce there. I don't think it was a stupid call. I think it was the right call. You talk about how the Bucks did lose their best cover cornerback, and 
it's a secondary that was already struggling. Uh, VH3 had to step up and play outside and cover Michael Thomas. He got bullied all day long, had his lunch money taken away. But there was a point where it looked like there was an obvious uh, pass interference on Michael Thomas in the second half. And let me just tell you, this was the worst one. Out Thomas, of all the calls, this was the worst one. Thomas clearly pushed off, and he recorded a 42-yard catch. And, I mean, after the play, VH3 even threw his arms up in the air. Like, what the hell was that? Mm-hmm. Because the argument was that they were hand-fighting from the referees. Uh, hand-fighting does not push a guy back two yards. I'm sorry, but if you've ever watched any pass interference or hand-fighting, in a sense, between a cornerback and a wide receiver, no one is yep. going to push off nearly enough to stop momentum and push a guy back, and that's exactly and that what was, happened. And that was on the first play of the second half. And, and I believe that was challenged as well, right? Yeah, that was challenged by the Bucks, and they lost, and I, I, I can't believe that. That was, they that was, lost so, fairly, that was so clear. Fairly quickly um, as well. They didn't take a lot yeah, of time was, to review it. It was so, so clear that, that he had pushed off with both arms, and... I just I don't know how much more clear it needs to be um, for this league to get it right. Eh, I, I don't understand. And you know, with the Saints, they're going to get every call in the book now, just because they, you know, they had that whole thing with the refs last year. Which yes, the refs blew that call in the NFC Championship game. Not saying they didn't, but now the Saints are the darlings, and the refs are scared to go against them because they're scared that the Saints fans and the NFL like fans in general just say, oh, well, they're biased against the Saints, so now the refs are sort of you know gun shy to do anything against the Saints, and that's just a prime example of it. I mean, that's as clear as day. I can make that call. That that is absolutely pass interference by the offensive player. It clearly hinders Hargrave's ability to get to that ball as he was staying stride for stride with Thomas until Thomas pushed off. Um, yeah, and VH3 had every right to be upset at that, and so did Bruce Arians. Two plays later, Ted Ginn Jr. caught yeah. a 33-yard touchdown pass to put the Saints up 24-10. Uh, when you go up 24-10, to 10, that's when I knew the game was over. I'm sure you yeah. did as well, if not sooner. Uh, but Arians also tossed his red flag that play and uh, got shut down again. Oh, I don't know. What exactly did he challenge? I want to say it was another offensive pass interference. It had to be because that's the only thing he can challenge. Like I don't right. But either way, I don't know. He was shut down pretty quickly, uh, and that was the common theme with him throwing out the challenge flag. Later in the third quarter, the referees called a defensive holding call on Vita Vea, uh, huh. and then two plays later, <laughs> they missed. The most obvious hold I've ever seen from Saints tight end Josh Hill on Carl Nassib. He held the shit out of Carl Nassib and prevented a sack. Yeah, Carl Nassib would have had a sack. And my prediction would have been right, is Carl Nassib getting a sack. But no! I mean, on top of everything that we just mentioned, there were countless missed calls regarding Jameis Winston getting absolutely destroyed uh, yeah. in the backfield. But now, then, you know, later later in the day, you know, Dak Prescott gets hit like this, and yeah. they call it yeah. roughing the passer. The Green Bay defensive lineman barely taps the side of Dak's helmet, and of course it's roughing the passer, but not if you're a Buccaneers quarterback. Um, I, I saw something floating around, and I don't know how true this is. I don't know if there's a way to research it. I don't know where this came from, but I saw it floating around that this officiating crew, when they officiate games for the Saints, the Saints are 15-1. and one. Like I said, 
I'm not sure how to verify that, and I'm not sure how true it is, but I saw more than a few people bring it up. So if it is true, it's not very hard to imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's... I don't know, man. But <laughs> and, and refs, I mean, the refs are bad. They're always going to be bad. But, yeah, this game was pretty bad. I think the Saints played with the refs in their pocket most of the game. Uh, and listen, we're not going to sit here and complain that the referees lost the Bucks the game because the Bucks had chances to win and they simply did not. Um, but the referees certainly did make it much, much harder to win that game. But that's pretty much all I've got to say about them. Uh, all in all, the end of the day, I see this game as a disappointing loss, of course. But it's... I said at the beginning of the show that if any game looked like the same old Bucks, it was this one. But I'm still sold on the narrative that this is not the same old Bucks team that we have seen in years past. Uh, right now, they're finding their footing with a brand new head coach and a new system. And they are making progress. They played the best team in the NFC. A Super Bowl caliber team. And I still got belief that before the end of the season, they'll be in contention for the NFC South. At least one more time. I'm not saying first place. I'm not saying they're going to have You are. You are saying first place. You say contention for the NFC South. That is first place. I think they'll have one more shot to maybe tie or put themselves on top. Yes. You can laugh as much as you want. But I think this is a team that is making progress. Uh, and uh, I think we've just got to find consistency, and right now that's what this team lacks. So all right. I, I, I'm not laughing because I, like I don't think like I think it's dumb or whatever. So, I'm just laughing because of, like the way like you're able to like spin stuff. It's just funny. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I've really got to be careful with my words because I'm a bad. Uh, I'm a. I'm really, really bad at like saying one thing and then thinking it through and saying another thing. <laughs> um, but kind of just reiterating what I said at the beginning of the show. Let me ask you this, because I believe that we have. Uh, do you think we've seen more good than bad from this team this year so far? I think we have. Man, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I guess. Because I, because I think you've seen still an improvement on defense. So uh, I think that's probably enough. Like, the fourth and two play, Carolina, that doesn't happen normally. They normally don't stop them there. Yeah. Um just a whole lot like but also there's things that just resemble like just like old times you know kicker missing a game-winning kick um offense comes out flat offensive line can't block winston turnover problems defense leaving guys wide open no pass rush it's just there's there's some signs of old bucks there but also some signs of like improvement and right now i just think it's probably a little bit more good than bad, but still. And, and I mean, in a sense, what I'm trying to say is that this is a team taking a step. They're in the process of taking a step. It's going to take time. They're not going to be a playoff team tomorrow, but we are seeing some progress. And we have to take that for what it is. Before we wrap things up, I've got one tweet here that basically sums up my point. Um, it comes from Greg Allman of The Athletic. Maybe you've heard of him. He said the Bucks are giving up tons of passing yards. Yes, but opposing mm, quarterbacks have a 91.9 passer rating. That ranks 15th in the NFL, which is much better than a 110.9 rating for opponents last year, which was the second highest in NFL history. So, yes, this team has some things they have to fix. 
they're trying to get it right, and they're taking a step. But like you said, Evan, I think that Tennessee game is going to be fairly telling of what kind of team we see for the rest of the year. But I've still got confidence in these guys. Got to win. Got to win this week, though. Got to like, beat Carolina. Still, like you got to win. Like yeah. Got to find a way, and it's it's going to be tough to sweep a division opponent. It always is. Carolina is not going to want to get swept by you. So, got to find a way. I've still got some faith, but ladies and gentlemen, you do. yeah, the eternal optimist. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If it was on any of our audio outlets or watching with video, if you're on YouTube or BucksReport.com. You can follow the show on social media at Cannon Fire Podcast for pretty much everything, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can follow myself on social media at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T-A-K-U-S, on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow my co-host Evan on Instagram and Twitter at Bucks Wave. <sighs> Big shout out to our sponsors, Pine Crest Printing and Signs. Do you have an image for your business Maybe a certain theme that you want to go towards? Well, good news for you. Pinecrest Printing has got you covered in more ways than one. These guys have been helping the Tampa Bay business community with their image since 2001. Their printing professionals are ready to provide you with quality marketing solutions for today's industry. They've got vehicle wraps, posters, banners, decals, cut vinyl, magnets, wide format, and much, much more. Anything you can think of, branding-wise, these guys are on top of it. They're also the newest sponsor of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Give them a call at 813-684-5444, or check out the website at pinecrestprinting.com. Tough task for the Buccaneers on the road, headed to London. It'll be an uh, interesting Technically game. at home, but... Technically at home, but 20,000 miles away from Raymond James Stadium. 9.30 a.m. It's an early kickoff. Make sure you get your coffee, get your eggs and bakey, and let's enjoy some Buccaneers football. We'll talk to you guys on Thursday when we preview the game a little bit more. But I am Rhett, signing off for Evan, and we'll catch you next time. Go Bucks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.